welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. All right, everyone, thanks for coming in to another episode of Clean Tech Talk. We're doing one of our Dealer Digest series here today, and we're talking with Christian from Ferry Auto. Now, the reason Christian's here, we were talking in the last episode with Zachary Shahan and I about some of the different ways that car dealers are adapting to this new world and the way that people want to be sold in 2020 being different than the way they wanted to be sold in 1980, for example. And one of the things that came up was the idea that with so many new cars and so many new products and so many new, even electric motorcycles coming out, people maybe are waiting because they don't know what's going to be out in a year or six months or 18 months that they may want to be able to buy at that point. And for some people, either their lease is up, they had a, you know, a catastrophic breakdown or, you know, God forbid they were in an accident. They need to buy a car today. And the comment that was made was, well, the Ferry Auto out in Austin, Texas is doing some pretty innovative stuff with leasing and financing and things like that for some of these electric cars. Now, without making this too much of a commercial, Christian, can you kind of explain the business model, what you're doing, you know, and and we can talk about some of the benefits to the consumer and, and frankly, the manufacturer at, at the end of that. Of course. And, and first of all, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Joe. This is uh, fun. And yes, certainly a, a topic that we've been looking at quite a bit. Ferry is now and now rebranded Ferry instead of Ferry Auto because what we're building is much broader now than purely an automotive marketplace. The big question here that that, that we've seen and kind of what Ferry's looking at right now is the opportunity to focus on the customer first and use that to inform what we're doing in terms of relationships with OEMs, with financing of cars, with the distribution, the sort of the distribution model for the cars, which for us is app first, very much lifestyle and community first. And it is you know, right now we're offering six, 12, 24 month short-term leases on Polestars, Teslas. Uh, we have a, an, an exclusive relationship with Piaggio. So the Vespa scooters, which are beautiful. And then the Piaggio Uno, which is going to be their more cost-effective scooter that's coming out a bit later this spring. But the longer term goal is really to create a true marketplace and a, a community around electric drive. I think right now in the US, which is unique relative to, for instance, the European marketplace, some some of the the Chinese kind of automotive and, and mobility marketplaces, the US is right now kind of the wild, wild west as it relates to to e-mobility. You know, so it's it's we're we're in a point where everything is being shaken up. Everything is being sort of disrupted at light speed. And there is opportunity at every single part of this value chain. So looking at trying to weave together 
public-private partnerships, infrastructure, the charging providers, thinking about new models around direct-to-consumer distribution of cars and motorcycles and scooters and mopeds and all of those things. It's really interesting when you think about it more broadly and start to connect those dots. For us, we want to be kind of the Amazon for e-mobility. We want to create kind of the most. Hopefully not quite that. (laughs) But, but, but in a, in in the sense that, yes, of course, you know. In the sense that for any EV that you are interested in, you would be eventually be able to get through ferry. Precisely. And, and not only any EV, but also things like home charging. We're doing a, a partnership with Wallbox, for instance, for home charging with public charging and private charging, figuring out how we can create a single payment platform that exists in ferry that federates every major charging provider in the U.S. through a single point of payment. Wow, the so, goal so when you're yeah. talking about a community, you know, when, when you said earlier, you're looking at building off of the community of EVs, that's not just people who are interested in EVs. It's not just people who are necessarily enthusiasts or environmentalists. You're talking about the community of people that are needed to make these cars work. And as far as putting the charging in your home, building out the infrastructure, working with the municipality, and you're doing all of that in, in one app. So my entire yes. electric vehicle experience putting in the charging, all of that. I don't have to now go to a dealer and talk to the parts department and buy the stuff and then get a contractor to come out and all this. I just go to Ferry Auto. I tell them what I want. I click. I don't even tell you, right? I just go through the app. I don't Mm -hmm. actually have to talk to a human being. Not that you're not a lovely guy. I don't have to talk to a human (laughs) being at all. And a car is going to appear in my driveway. Someone's going to put a charger in my garage and I'm going to be good to go. Exactly. And even but how can you that, say that? How can you say that in a calm way? Like, do you realize well, how difficult and horrible the dealership and car buying experience is for so many people? And you're just like, yeah, all of that is optional, and uh, you know we've got a better way. You don't have to deal with any of that. But yeah, so let me talk to you more about the app. It's like, dude, what? It's it's. <laughs> I know it sounds insane, and it is partially insane. Because what you're talking about is bringing together so many different folks within a very, very, very rich ecosystem. The benefit to the fragmentation that we have in the U.S. and the fact that there is just less coordination, there's less dominance relative to specific charging providers. There are fewer charging providers, for instance, but actually applying Silicon Valley thinking, which is app first and about kind of efficiencies on a software level, but also about reducing friction in the customer experience. Like when you start there and then work back, say like, what is my ideal experience? I'm e-curious. That's what we call folks that are like just starting to explore. So you have folks in the US that are Tesla fanboys, I've been part of the Tesla world, part of the Tesla ecosystem, early adopters that understand e-mobility through a very specific lens. Then you have everyone else. And so those folks are the the e-curious folks that are, are either driven by lifestyle choice, they want to move 
into a more sustainable mode of drive. Maybe they've test driven a Polestar, they've test driven some sort of e-car and they've said, holy S, this is an extraordinary <laughs> experience. Right. Which it is, I think the, the numbers are insane. Like once you've gotten into an e-car and driven one for a month or more, you're like 90%, like 80 some, something percent more likely to then continue with an e-car or an e-vehicle for the rest of your life. So I think one of the, one of the, so, so coming back to your first question, which is how do we take all of this insanity and then find a way to synthesize it into a single clean user experience? That is where precisely the design thinking comes in. So, you know, my background from the product side of things, from the brand side of things. I was going to say, you know, I I was just going to say, because a lot of our, I mean, I I assume most of our listeners aren't going to know you, but I know you a little bit and you went to Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. You are a very talented artist and designer. I've read some of your you know, writings about the theory behind automotive design. And, and I, I got to tell you, as I've gotten to know you, I can't think of anybody perhaps, and I say this with love, <laughs> less likely to come up with a fintech solution to the automotive buying process. But what you have is really good. And what, what you have is great. Yeah. So I, I, I don't mean to hijack it, but when you talk about coming at something from a design direction and from a UI direction, that's different than if I say that, or if somebody in mm-hmm. finance world says that, I mean, you are truly an artist who has come mm-hmm. up with an idea to make financing and buying a car better. I mean, even that, I mean, we could probably do a half hour on that. We're not going to, but I, I, yeah. mean, I think that's just an interesting angle. So you've got this design, you've got the app it, and, and that's been sort of leading the way. How is it when you're a customer you know, you're talking about describing the ideal experience. Walk me through that experience with, with Ferry. Yeah. So the Ferry experience, which again is informed by design thinking, which is informed by simplification, which is informed by reduction of complexity, which is informed by creating the purest possible form, which applies in the world of Traditional design, product design applies to application design, product, digital software product design. The same principles are still very much salient to this process. But for the ferry customer, it's as simple as downloading the app, signing up, giving a few pieces of personal information, just like you would if you were downloading an Uber app or Lyft or any sort of you know, major consumer app. And then immediately you're looking at not only a range of EVs available to you. So we have EVs that are immediately available for delivery. We have EVs that are coming in the future like Audi and eventually uh, we're gonna get some really interesting cars on the platform that don't even exist yet in the United States, but That's you can pre-reserve Yes. So you can pre-reserve future cars, but, you know, a lot of our customers are, are, you know, they, they want a car fast and they want a car without the painful negotiation that most of them experience every time they've ever walked into a dealer, which isn't to say that dealers are wrong. 
the thing is dealers have have spent a hundred years optimizing a, around a very specific set of things, which is, you know, delivering as many cars as possible in specific geographies, appealing to a specific customer segment, and then nurturing and a relationship. In a 30-day cycle. In a exactly. So what we're doing is we're giving you the opportunity to do all the browsing just like you would if you were browsing for a pair of shoes decide which car you want. So if, if right now you can go on and, and reserve a Polestar 2. So I want this Polestar 2, you choose the color. Again, reduction of complexity. You click start reservation process. And then we do an entire verification process in app in less than five minutes. This has never been done before. No. So we are doing identity verification, we are running your credit, we are allowing you to add insurance to the offering, we are giving you a specific delivery date that you can choose within like a four hour time window. And as soon as you click, okay, we do the processing, we make sure that you are, you know, you're, you're a qualified customer, we do a multi-point verification check, again, much more Silicon Valley, much more like a banking app, but all of that complexity is under the hood. And so the output of that is in less than five minutes, you have a decision and you have a car parked in your virtual garage on app and you've got a delivery date. So within, uh, you know, literally the time it takes you to create an account on say Revolut or create an account on even a less sophisticated app like Lyft or Uber, you have a car scheduled for delivery to your door. A ferry ambassador arrives with that car, hands you the keys and off you go for six, 12, 24 months. Uh, that's a very critical point, right? So you do still get that, that hands-on delivery. Somebody's going to give you that white glove treatment at the end of the process. But you said something and you glossed over it very quickly, which again, mm. I think to most people seems revolutionary, a mm. six or a 12 month lease. So mm. if I want to try out an EV and I want to see, is this going to fit into my life? You're going to give me a payment. I make that payment for six months. It includes mm. my insurance. It includes whatever else I need for, for that six months of time. And at the end of that six months, if I go, man, this, this, if I'm one of that, you know, 5% of people who says, mm -hmm. who tries an EV and says, man, this doesn't work for me. I, I'm six months into it. I'm out. Like, I don't have to mm -hmm. commit to this for 36, 48, 60 months. You know, now they're doing 72 months, even, even 84 yeah. months, you know, purchases now, which is don't, if you're listening to this, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't find it. <laughs> don't recommend it. No. Yeah. That's a bad move. No. But in any event, that, that's such a huge thing because there are people who are in that situation that they might want to wait for something that's six months out or a year out, and they want something to try out or drive in between. And like, if you fall in love with a Polestar 2 while you're waiting a year and a half for your F-150 Lightning, you don't have to buy that Lightning, right? You can just keep driving the Polestar. Exactly. So, so this is what is really interesting for us and also something that we've been seeing with our our customers, you know, we have folks that have a reservation on, you know, 
an Audi e-tron that isn't dropping in the States until like early fall, but we can say to them, all right, you know, you have your reservation, but we can deliver a Polestar right now. You can get in for six months. It's one fixed fee. There's no like down payment that the other big differentiator here, which is crucial for us. And you don't see with some of the other subscription services or short-term leasing services is we're not sticking you with a big down payment. So it is one cost per month for a six month period, 12 month period. And if, if you don't like it after 12 months, you know, the data points to, yes, you probably won't, will want to hold on to it. But if you don't like it, you turn it back in, you move on to, to uh, whatever other car that you want. But it doesn't even have uh, to be that dramatic. Like, oh, I had a black no. one. Now I want a red one. Okay. I have a red one now. And again, that's the thing, right? So after 12 months, yeah, I want a different color. I had a kid. So suddenly, you know, I've been riding this, this Vespa E all around town and it's been great for me, but you know, now I got a kid and my wife or my husband is saying, okay, I need, I need, you know, we need more space. So, okay. You can put a baby seat on the back, but it's frowned upon. (laughs) It's slightly frowned upon. I mean, it's, it's exciting and thrilling and I think it's formative, but yes, it's Uh, frowned upon. So Zachary, I'm sorry. I tried really hard to make this a serious show. (laughs) (laughs) but that's the opportunity right because what you know there there are three things that you know this well joe like the biggest pain points around people adopting evs is just lack of understanding around range it's nervousness about you know i'm going to get from point a to point b and run out of battery it's nervousness around is this car going to actually drive in a way that that like feels good to me like is this experience going to be familiar enough and is it going to hold up we know what a car feels like on a test drive how's it going to feel with five six ten thousand miles on it precisely and then and then the other big one is you know and unfortunately you know in the u.s and this is slightly different again in other geographies but in the u.s if you want to go e you're, you're like, your options are pretty limited. So we're looking at people that are generally of extraordinary means, at least relative to the broader US population. So the 2% of drivers, 1% of drivers can afford a Tesla, right? And so the, the barrier to entry, therefore, is, is rather extraordinary, because if I'm buying a Tesla, even a Tesla three, the most economical of the Teslas, I'm going to put down a, you know, $5,000 down, $10,000 down, get my payment to a place that's reasonable to me. I'm going to do that for no less than 36 months. That is a massive commitment. So your only option is go massive commitment into a territory that you may still, you may not want to put a ring on it, right? You want to, you want to date this thing for a while. This is a crazy, brave new world of e-mobility. So, oh, dude, I love talking to you, but yeah. I, I, I want to kind of emphasize this, that this is not everywhere. Like the reason you haven't heard of ferry is because you're not everywhere. You're in Austin. You're in Austin, Texas. Yes. So like, if I'm in Chicago, which I'm in Chicago, and I want a new car because I always want a new car, I yeah. can't. I can't use you yet. Yet. Yes. Yet, and that is the uh, that 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 is 
precisely what is about to change. So Austin has been oh, a that's great changing. Uh, yes. I, yeah. Cause I didn't realize that I was going to go. My intent was to talk about how the franchising laws in these different States are keeping your tech out, but well, I, I didn't expect, I didn't expect you to have something for that. So let's go. Tell me, tell me, I'm excited. Well, Joe, that's actually an interesting topic. So, so the fact that we launched in Austin, Texas, which has some of the strictest franchising laws in America, was actually a decision we made very specifically and proactively in order to understand all of the potential landmines around trying to introduce basically a direct-to-consumer offering to customers. The beauty of our model is we are are not a dealer. (laughs) So in, in a sense, we're able to have a direct relationship with the customer, give them the optimal experience, but we aren't actually in conflict with the dealers on the ground in, in Texas. So what is interesting about that as well is that it's a, it's a bit downhill from here. So we've solved all of the things that are structural, legislative in a very, very difficult state with extraordinary dealer power and we've actually forged partnerships with dealers there that are great partners for servicing, great partners for handling some of the different pieces of the business that they're really good at. So we've actually been able to create a pretty rich relationship with not only the sort of the broader sort of consumer community, but also folks in the dealer community there. So what, what we're building, and again, this is why it's so important that it's Silicon Valley thinking applied to automotive. And, you know, you're right. I am the, I am looking at this from a completely different lens. So my, you know, my, my perspective is purely how do we create the most beautiful design centric, customer centric solution for customers around a category that has not changed in a hundred years. So that is what fascinates me as a design problem, as, as an optimization problem, as a product opportunity, this is the single biggest consumer market in the world. I think it's something like $1.5 trillion a year are transacted on cars. Only 3% of that is done online or via some sort of form of e-commerce. So think about that. Like if you said that about any other major consumer category, electronic goods, that's at like 40, 50, 60% creeping up with Amazon. You've got, you know, basically now I haven't been in a grocery store in five years, even groceries. So software has eaten the world in every single consumer category, except automotive. And the only reason that is, is because dealer franchise law in the United States has kind of just fallen behind and dealer activity in in the States has fallen behind other categories of commerce and has been more resistant to new models. So there is a world in which dealers can benefit from from a more agency-oriented model as well. And that, to me, is ultimately where things are headed. But it's not even a game that we need to be in. It's not a game that I want to be in, period. I think there is a world down the road. And, and I know that you, you know about kind of my, my 10 and 20 year vision of 
automotive, which is very much design informed and really about, you know, I call it the new Moore's law, but uh, of battery and, and charging technology. But I think there, there's going to be, there's going to be a radical shift in which the car becomes like an iPhone on wheels and, and the entire notion of drive becomes anachronistic in the sense that, you know, what we think of as, you know, folks that ride horses now, you know, they, they, they have private clubs and they go and ride horses and they do that thing. People that want to drive, drive, drive are going to be driving in that context. Most of driving within 10 years, 10, 15 years is going to be done in a, in a much more egalitarian, much more connected, much more efficient and much more environmentally friendly way, which is going to feel a lot more like a social network. So drive is going to be community driven. And so I think I, I hate, I'm actually embarrassed to say this, but I just figured out the name of the company. You are going to ferry us from now yeah. to this future world. You're the connected app that's going to take us Definitely. from here to there. And that's why it's called ferry. I Pre- never understood that until this second. And, uh, and, yes. we, and we've known each other for like a year now. I know. Just, I'm so embarrassed well, that I didn't pick up on that. I was just like, that's a weird name. All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually even more, Joe, Joe, it's even more interesting than that because ferry was born out also. So the notion of ferry and getting people from point A to point B and getting people from the old world of drive into a new, much more exciting, sustainable world of drive for everyone yeah. is really where, where that name comes from. But it also has an interesting tie-in to my co-founder in the company, Tony Piech, whose father ran Volkswagen for 30 something years, introduced Quattro, was sort of a legend and of the Ferdinand car business. Ferdinand Piech is a legend. He's still a legend. Um, Are you kidding me? Yeah. He, he he's, resurrected he's, Bugatti. The guy, the guy is a yeah, complete yeah, legend. Yeah. He's, 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 he was, I, I think he was like the Steve Jobs of his era in automotive. And he, I, I he's think that's like, absolutely right. And so his son is kind of my, quiet co-founder on Ferry. And we were looking at ways to draw a legacy thread with his family. So not only was his dad Ferdinand Piech, wow. but his great great grandfather is Ferry Porsche. Porsche. Yeah. And his, yes, great as <laughs> Ferry. So Ferry is actually connected to the legacy of our of our business as well. So it's it's kind of it was one of those sort of crazy, divine, weird, spiritual, whatever, like moments where this name that just meant everything and had this interesting historical context kind of landed. And that's, you know, when we talk about, which we don't have time to get into today, but the long-term vision of Ferry in which we're actually manufacturing like an e-car for everyone, it draws a direct line from what the Volkswagen Beetle meant for accessibility around drive right. for Volkswagen everyone and literally means yes. people's car yeah yes yeah, yeah, precisely yeah. and so a lot of what we're imagining was sort of conceptually fashioned on that notion and then the through line into the you know ferry ferry porsche design 911 uh, and then you know in into some of the innovations of 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 Ferdinand Piech, his his father so 
we have a yeah we have a very interesting like legacy story that it sort of sits behind all of this kind of future focus it's 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 fun yeah and you know this is why there's sometimes where like I sit in a room with someone I go you are so smart and I am so dumb how are we in the same room but like I you know my background is from that dealership world right like I I spent Mm. 25 years now in that in that dealership world and around it and dealing with the state associations and all that so to hear about innovation of that model and in a way that really makes sense it's not just we're the same kind of dealer but we're nice to you or we're the same kind of Mm. dealer but we just don't negotiate like you know, which was like the CarMax or the Carvana model kind of thing. Yeah. This is something that's truly different. And I, I can't wait to see you kind of take this where I, I think eventually it's going to go, which is going to be nationwide. I know you have that ambition. I'm curious to see where you go next. And I think that, you know, a lot of the things that we see now with the dealers playing these games of $30,000 markups on F-150s of, you know, ordering a car in someone's name and then the car gets there and then starting to negotiate up from price. Like, well, Mm -hmm. you waited six months. Thanks for giving us your deposit for us to play with. And now we're going to, you know, to just eliminate some of those games, I I think is going to be huge. And just what you're doing is, uh, I I think is going to be really exciting for that industry. So I wanted to say this because you've you've said a lot of stuff here that people who are not from my world, from not from the Mm -hmm. dealership world, are, are going to kind of just see like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And, and not realize how, how innovative that this really is. If you were going to say something to a dealer, to a dealer group, you know, you're, you're moving mm-hmm. into, you know, Chicago, there's going to be the Ed Napleton's of the world. There's going to be the auto barns mm-hmm. and the Fishers and all that. And they say, well, wait, wait a minute. We don't want this guy here. This guy's competition. How mm-hmm. do you address that? How do you say, no, I'm not, I'm not a dealer. I'm something else entirely. Or do you even have that conversation with them? Do you just say, I'm a different thing entirely and I don't even acknowledge you guys? Well, it's interesting state by state. So again, this is where it comes in. So first of all, we just launched in LA and the Bay Area. So we are now live there. Awesome. Um, So that's our next expansion environment. But what's interesting in the state of Texas is actually all the deliveries are made through a dealer. So- we are we are required to have, and this is something that it's true, unless you understand the mechanics of dealers and dealer franchises, it gets pretty like, I learned a lot kind of like understanding this world kind of more on the dealer level. But like in Texas, those cars have to be delivered by a dealer by law. So even if we're buying a car directly from BMW, for instance, it needs to land at the BMW franchise in, in, you know, somewhere near us in Austin or in Texas. It needs to be titled and tagged. And then we- and They're doing the PDI, have, and, which is uh, it, for people not in the industry, they're yeah. doing the pre-delivery inspection, make sure the car is safe, make sure it operates properly, all the fluids are high and where they need to be. Yeah, so, so there, there's Precisely. a technical aspect to it. So, so there's a technical piece that the dealers still kind of handle for us. And like in the case of Polestar, you know, what, what we, we, we become is basically a, a massive service channel for their dealers. So the other thing about dealer networks that people don't realize is a huge percentage of revenue for dealers and dealer groups is servicing revenue. Right. And this is the other big pain point that 
that is sort of a, a disconnect between dealers and OEMs. OEMs are saying we've got an e-future, we're going all in on e, we're, you know, CES, every trade show is all, you know, even the NADA NADA this year was like all about e, but dealers like are faced with with a situation in which they've got a car that suddenly doesn't need to be serviced every 10,000 miles and potentially can have much longer service intervals. So as technology increases, the amount of servicing required is really related to just wear and tear of the vehicle. So a lot of the economics for a dealer are changing as well. And so they're kind of caught in the crosshairs here because you've got huge push from a manufacturer level to get more e-cars to more people, but then there's less dealer incentive to sell those cars because they're making less over the lifetime of that customer relationship with an e-car. So what we're able to do with both pure EV car companies like Polestar is provide a servicing channel. So we do servicing through local dealer franchises. Same thing we're going to be doing with Mercedes and a bunch of others, actually. You've got um, Audi. You've outside got of Tesla. Yeah. yeah. So so like with, te- with Vespa, we have a really cool relationship with them because they are, they are very much trying to grapple with this precise thing. They want to sell direct in the U.S., but they are barred from selling direct in some of the most lucrative states, including New York, including Texas. And so they're trying to look at the landscape and figure out how they can create the best possible consumer experience, but not conflict with the dealer, the state laws around dealer delivery and franchise law. So this is really actually quite fascinating when you dig into it. But you know, to answer your first question, the short term is we have relationships with dealers that are just a requirement in specific states, but it also can extend to servicing and, uh, and other opportunities for them to be kind of working with us. The other piece of this is their structure from a financing perspective is so much is optimized and, and so clearly predicated on minimum, you know, 24 best case, but minimum usually 36 month purchase or lease. Right. So, you know, when we're sitting in the six to 12 month lease category, it's a completely different value proposition. So for them, like the way they make money, like the mechanics of that transaction are completely different than for us, the way that we make money, which is getting cars to people and then building layers of value on top of that and building a, a rich community or a richer ecosystem. So, you Doing know, that by eliminating the pain points of the customer, you're saying that customers don't precisely want to do this, we handle it. Customers find this to be a, a you know, a pain in the rear. We're going to smooth that over. And you're doing that from that design centric view. Yeah, precisely. Dude, this is, I mean, this is, sounds very much like, what a lot of people have said to me over the years, they wish car buying was like, but it it just hasn't been that way. And it it looks like you're getting that figured out. I'm excited to see where it goes. You know, I'm, I'm a two wheel guy. So I'm, I'm kind of excited Mm -hmm. to see where you go with that. Um, Obviously Piaggio owns quite a few brands. Yes. They're a big Italian company. So I I can kind of not necessarily read between the lines because I don't think you said too much, but uh, my imagination is already running wild with that. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I'm, I'm running out of time here. I know that we, we only booked a little bit of your time. I want to be respectful of that. Let me kind of say, first of all, again, thank you for coming on board and talking to us a little bit about what you're doing. I, I definitely want to have you on again so that we can talk more about your, your design vision for the next 10, mm-hmm. 20 years. And I think we'll do that in a different context. You know, you were kind enough to give us your time. What can our readers do, Clean Technica readers do to kind of follow along, find out when you're going to be in their area and and even just kind of try out the app. I know you can't really download the app when I tried to do it in Chicago. It just kind of says, we're not in Chicago yet. Thanks for playing. How can I, you know, play with the app and just sort of, or maybe there's a YouTube video that I can check out to see what the process looks like and kind of get hyped for it as it's coming along. Yeah, precisely. So a couple of things. So if you are in Austin right now, you can download the app and have the full experience. If you are in the Bay Area or in the Los Angeles area, you can download the app and have the entire ferry experience. If you are not in one of the launch cities, which Chicago is actually one of our near-term next launch cities. So very soon, Joe, you'll be able to have the full experience. In the meantime, I recommend people, folks go over to ferryauto.com. So just pretty simple, ferryauto.com. Or you can also, you know, look us up on YouTube. We have some cool videos about the kind of the full dealer and app experience and see what that kind of five-minute process looks like. But right now, ferryauto.com has a pretty good overview of what we're doing. And you can also sign up for our, our, our kind of coming soon list. So as soon as we launch in your city, you'll be able to download and have the full experience. We are going to be expanding into seven or eight new markets before the end of the year. So I think a lot of folks um, listening will hopefully have the opportunity to, to get a bit of that fairy feeling very soon. For those of you who hear me say, wow, Christian launched this company in October. It's not <laughs> something that's been around for like years. So to go from, you know, sitting around a, a table and and sketching stuff on napkins and going, this is how this is supposed to look, to we're going to roll out to seven new major markets in the next six months. Yeah. <laughs> You're a better man than me. I, I don't it, think I can plan a vacation that far ahead. So nicely done. Yeah. Well, we I have listen. a great team. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I know you do. I met, I met a lot of uh, Christian's team at Austin, Texas at the Electrify yeah. Expo and, and they, they were just awesome people. And man, I, I wish you all the luck in the world. And I think you're going to get a, a really strong response from the EV community as well. They, they are looking for a way to buy their cars that does not involve uh, you know, th- that traditional dealership and the long waits and the, the dickering back and forth. So I, I think you got a winner here and I look forward to see how it goes. Sounds great, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. (laughs) 